Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. Hello, we are back. We're back after the long New York Fashion Week, which I thought was very fun. I saw a lot of cool shows. We're not going to talk about it too much on this episode, but I had a great time. How about you, Jill? I had a great time. I had a busy time. It kicked my butt. Like, I came back so exhausted, and I think, you know, different pace than St. Louis life. Well, you flew into New York City, went to a million shows, and then flew straight back. So I don't think you even had time really to to breathe. It's all a blur, but it was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, though, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. We're going to talk about Crocs and how they had an amazing year last year, a record year, actually. We'll talk about how they achieved that. Um, we'll talk about the ongoing luxury slowdown, looking at earnings from Lanvin and also at Swiss watch exports. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about this new Jacques Mousse Nike swoosh bag, which to me, I think has all the makings of being like one of those mega best-selling products that just everyone's obsessed with, but we'll see. Let's start with Crocs, though. So obviously, everybody knows Crocs. Um, they announced earlier this week their earnings, and they had basically, like I said, a, a record year. Their revenue last year was nearly $4 billion, and their earnings per share were up 48% in the last quarter. Um, their quarterly revenue was like $960 million, I think a 2% increase from the previous quarter. It's huge. And the notable thing to me is they said it's not particularly driven by any specific channel or specific market. It's just growth across the board. It's not like driven by e-commerce or driven by China or anything like that. I think they're kind of becoming one of those sort of super brands where they've kind of serve everybody and are somehow able to do it where they've got this regular kind of everyday customer. I know a lot of chefs and nurses and people who are on their feet a lot wear Crocs. But then they also have this kind of hype beast fashion forward customer as well. And I think they've done a pretty amazing job of kind of like having that split personality and and serving all of them. What do you think, Jill? Do you, do you agree with that? I agree. And they're really well positioned with like with Gen Alpha. I mean, I have some kids in my life, nieces and nephews, and uh, oh God, late, uh, probably nine to 13. The uniform, they've got a school uniform, but everybody at their school, like what they have... I mean, Crocs is part of it. Crocs or Nikes every day. They wear crew mm-hmm. socks. They hold their Stanley Cup. This is the the look. Like <laughs> Crocs are definitely part of the equation. So they've won over the young demo. And I have to talk to about this. I really slept on this brand. Um, they also own, acquired in 2022, this brand Hey Dude. Do you know Hey Dude? Yes. Yeah. And they talked about it on their earnings about how they made a lot of progress in kind of like bringing Hey Dude up to up to par with the rest of the group. Yeah. Hey, dude did not do as great as the rest of the group. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, I literally got hip to this brand because my mother gifted a pair of shoes to my 71-year-old father. Like, I think that they're covering their bases in terms of their their demos, I would say, Um, the group, high and low. Um, But yeah, that's interesting. That was kind of like the, the lower point in their earnings. And they talked about kind of bringing it up to par via um, opening up an abundance of stores, I think 30 this year, dedicated to Hey Dude. And also yeah. um, leaning into collaborations with that brand, which um, I don't know if they've done those in the past, but wonder who their collaborators would be. Maybe the dude from Big Lebowski. That would be like be fitting my dad's my dad's demo. <laughs> anyway, your, your dad would go crazy for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that they've yeah they've done a good job with that, and and collaborations specifically are something that have been really successful for Crocs for the brand Crocs. And I was going to say one of the things I think they do really well is they lean into like humor. The Croc itself is kind of a funny shoe, like it's kind of ugly. 
but it's also really comfortable and it's sort of like, I don't know, it's just funny. It's funny looking. And a lot of their collaborations, it's like the Shrek croc or like the cowboy boot croc. And it's a cowboy boot, but it turns into a croc at the bottom. Like that's, they know that that's funny and it's positioned as humorous. The the smart thing is that they're not trying to sell 10 million of, of cowboy boot crocs. You know, they, they reserve the kind of playful iterations on the croc design for these like limited edition things. Then, and they use that to sort of, like you said, they win over younger people or like they kind of get in the mind, you know, they get top of mind with these like fun collaborations and then they make banks selling 10 million pairs of like normal Crocs. Yes. Um, I think that's really smart the way they do that. Agree. So much overlap with what we're talking about today because I think about what you're talking about in terms of being these like novelty limited edition collector's items, um, which they've definitely obviously seen success seen success doing or they wouldn't keep doing it. Um, their latest collaborations are with Toy Story. They also continued to win over the kind of higher fashion set. Simone Rocha, Roca um, just showed um, another collaboration. They've collaborated with um, Crocs in the past, but for fall 2024, I think on the London, London Fashion Week runway. Um, so more to watch there. But um, yeah, their direct-to-consumer channel, it did grow slightly above their other channels, which makes sense mm-hmm. to me because if you love Crocs, you're going to go to where you can see, like brands are telling us time and time again, they come to the site for the full assortment as opposed to just like select right. pieces at the wholesalers. Well, that's I think that's a uh, a trade-off with wholesale in general is oftentimes they're only buying a certain portion of the catalog. Like Nordstrom is not going to have every single Crocs, you know, edition. They might have, you know, a few select ones and then the regular like core product. Um, the other thing I think like I, I'm starting I'm sort of starting to think of Crocs kind of like champion or like Carhartt where they've got this kind of everyday core customer. And then on top of that, they've got this like hype beast kind of streetwear customer. And I think if you're a brand and I've talked to some, I've talked to brands like champion or Fila about this exact thing. They, they sort of say when you sense that you're starting to organically get this like hype beast, you know, streetwear fashion forward type of consumer interested in your brand, that you need to have like a gentle hand with them. Basically, you don't want to overreact and like be uncool and, you know, like be too desperate for it. You kind of got to like stay cool about it. And I think Crocs has, to me, seems to have mostly done that. Like they're still selling their normal everyday Crocs. Like my fiance's dad wears them all the time. They're very comfortable. Um, He's working in his garage. They're a great thing to wear there. But then on top of that, they just do these light touches kind of, you know, collaborations and fun stuff and they just I feel like they've done a good balance of not overstepping and like trying to transform the whole company into this like fashion forward thing you know they keep that core customer still yes don't don't be uncool (laughs) it's it's such a fine line it's and it's so wild you're so didn't it start as like a gardening shoe it's like gardening chic like what a success story I don't know it's exciting to see yeah, they're huge, and we'll we'll keep watching them obviously throughout the the this year and see if they can keep that up. On the opposite side, let's talk about our next topic, which is two things that I think are kind of related. I wanted to talk about Lanvin, which also had their earnings this week, and then also uh, some data on Swiss watch exports. So Lanvin Group um, had their earnings, and it was a lot. It was definitely less positive than Crocs. Um, 
Earnings for the whole company were basically flat, but at Lanvin, the brand, um, specifically the sales were down 7% in the last quarter. Um, Sergio Rossi, which is another brand that they own, was down 1%, and then the rest were either kind of flat or lowish, and then they had one... I should have written this down. They had one brand that did do Caruso. Really well. Caruso did really well. Caruso, that's that's right. Yeah. yeah. Caruso grew 30%, I think. So they had one kind of like bright spot in there. And I think we've talked a lot about the struggles in luxury right now. I think since maybe second half of last year, uh, a lot of slowdown across luxury spending. Um, a little bit of a correction maybe from just how like huge those companies were growing in the last couple of years. But it definitely feels like there's some economic factors there as well. Um, a lot of you know, conditions that created that that environment across all of luxury. However, specifically for Lanvin, the brand, we should say they don't have a permanent creative director right now. What is his name? Bruno Cialelli. Did I have that right? Yes. Yeah. Bruno Cialelli left in April of last year, and they have not replaced him yet. Um, they did this kind of rotating cast of designers, which we talked about future and stuff. And I can't say for sure that that correlates with their sales being low, but I mean... I think that that might have something to do with it. I, I feel like brands need to have a strong guiding hand and a singular creative vision, and they don't have that at the moment. I agree. I feel like they're in this transitional mode. Um, they just went public not too long ago. They have a new CEO, Lanvin Group, in, in total, of Eric Chan. It started in December, I believe. Um, but... You're right regarding the creative director. I feel like um, I was kind of digging into why Caruso did well. Um, it was up 30% year over year. And they are Italian menswear suiting, really. So I'm like, is it back to work? Um, but they also have a new creative director as of December. Maybe too early to tell, but good to see that they brought somebody in. They're establishing a stronger point of view. Um, this guy, Max Cabardin. Uh, probably butchering it. Oh, he owned a footwear brand. Or I think it was namesake footwear brand. Also worked under Karl Lagerfeld. Um, it seems like the, he's got some good credibility there. So let's bring in somebody creative director wise. Uh, they did start Lanvon Lab in November 2023. And Lanvon, the brand said they had a better second half. Like the first half of the year, revenue was down 11%. The second half, um, it was right. down or single Seven, digits. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so they they bumped it up a little bit. You're right. It definitely seemed like, and and that is interesting because Bruno Cialelli left in April. So it actually seems like it was the first half, which included his departure, but he was there for most of it, was when the sales were down more and then got went up a little bit towards the end of the year. So maybe that's a, an, a strike against the idea that the rotating cast of designers was a hindrance. But I don't know. I still kind of feel like they should eventually settle on somebody. And I, I've heard that they are. I think they probably will have a an announcement somewhat soon, probably in the first half of this year, of uh, who's going to like take the helm there. Um, and they, of course, like in their earnings, they talked a lot about the economic conditions and macroeconomic headwinds and all, all those terms that people use when their sales are not good and and not to imply that like they're lying. I think that's all very true. Like we said, there's slowdowns in luxury all over the place. So I, I think that's probably a contributing factor too. It's interesting though, the route that they're taking. I'm sure these are maybe underperforming stores, but across the entire group, I, I looked at it, I took a double take um, because they have Sergio Rossi, Wolford. I've definitely seen Wolford stores um, in New York, um, Caruso, they've got St. John's, they've got Lanvin. Across the whole group, they 
closed 12 stores and they're down to 12 total stores. Like for a luxury group, that blew my mind. Um, And it seems like the opposite direction that a lot of these booming conglomerates are taking, which is like the more the better. People want the luxury experience. They want to shop in store. Um, So mm, we'll see if I, I think that more stores are needed, I would say. Yeah. Okay, so and as a counterpoint to that, or or not a counterpoint, but you know, jumping off of that, I also wanted to talk about um, some data around Swiss watch exports. So um, they were slow in January um, last year, uh, at the beginning of last year. I think the exports from Switzerland and from the big Swiss watch brands to the rest of the world were uh, eleven, per- like growing eleven percent, and then as of this January, they were down to growing at only three percent. So still increasing, but at a much slower rate. So that that rate is slowing down a lot. But there's a specific data point that I thought was really interesting, which is that specifically watches over like $3,400, it's 3,000 francs. So I think that's around $3,400. The exports fell by 4.5% and the prices went up almost the same amount, 4.3%. So I definitely think there's an interesting correlation there with those, um, you know, the really expensive watches going up in price at the same time as they're selling less. And I think that works with a lot of the things we've been talking about, people reigning in their spending and balking at like super ultra luxury prices. Um, There's always going to be, you know, that core of extremely rich people who money is no object and they will buy anything at any price. But definitely feels like um, even in watches, which typically attract, um, you know, a luxury consumer who, doesn't mind a higher price point. I think there's just less of a critical mass of people who are willing to spend that much. So I definitely see some slowdown there too. Definitely. P.S. We talk about watches a lot. I want watches and wonders to invite us. It's in April. We need to get there. We need to see the next sexy thing. I would love that. Yeah. It's so exciting. It's an exciting industry booming, but yeah, the different kind of fluctuations or nuances happening are Definitely worth noting. It has me wondering what's happening with Chanel bags because that's another, mm-hmm. um, they've increased prices over and over and over. And then meanwhile, all of these competitors are emerging. There's been a lot of coverage about the Rose Margot bag. Uh, we talked yes. about it. I talked to that um, luxury shopper, luxury sourcer, Gab Waller, and she said that's the most requested bag because people can't find it. Then again, it's $5,000. It's not $10,000. And so uh, that's definitely an emerging competitor. It's definitely a different business model. Um, people are comparing it to the next Birkin, which is, I would say, more more elevated than Chanel. So I feel like we're going to see some movement there in terms of their pricing. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Chanel is definitely the one of the brands I think of most in terms of just raising prices all the time and their customer just going along with it and not caring and they're still they're still growing all the time. I do wonder how delicate that balance is because it feels like it's maintained by, it seems to me, like a very thin amount of like prestige. Not thin, they've got a ton of prestige, but I mean like the amount of prestige you need to be able to keep doing that to me feels very tenuous. Like I feel like it would only take one, I don't know, bad PR disaster or something to suddenly tank that whole like delicate kind of balance. But I could be wrong. Maybe there's nothing that Chanel could do that would stop people from continuing to buy Chanel for the same prices that you'd buy like a car. Um, <laughs> but on the same note, it needs to be remain cool because you don't want to be cool. the one, yep. the sucker. You'll be labeled the sucker. You're, you paid $10,000 to carry that brand. 
okay. (laughs) Well, and then also, this is related to both Chanel and to watches. Um, This is a a point of contention for both brands and resale platforms, but I really wonder for watches, like, I have never even considered buying a watch straight from the brand. um, I'm almost always buying secondhand just because they're so expensive and they hold their value so well and they're so good for reselling. Like, they're... They don't get worn in the same way that like a shirt or something would. Resale, like secondhand watches are huge. It's a huge industry. A lot of the brands are getting involved like Rolex. So, but I do wonder if there's like any kind of conflict there. I so agree. I'm with you. I would go straight to resale. And there's something almost, unless it's like very limited edition and hard to get and very timely, it's almost cooler to just buy it on resale. You got to, again, you're not a sucker. (laughs) Yes. Let's move on to our last topic, which is the Jacquemus Nike swoosh bag. So as part of Jacquemus's ongoing Nike collaboration, they revealed um, the Nike swoosh bag. And that's not a bag with a swoosh on it, but it is a bag that is a swoosh. Um, I think it's not out on, it's, I don't think it's for sale yet, but um, you can see it on Instagram. Um, they're, they have a whole campaign planned around it, which I'm pretty sure is going to feature the track and field athlete Shikari Richardson. I don't think they explicitly announced her, but you can see her arm holding the bag in like the Instagram post and people have already identified she's got very distinctive tattoos. So that's who that is to me. And I I maybe will be totally wrong about this, but it I feel like this has all the makings of like one of those bags or one of those products that people just like go nuts over and is going to sell out and everyone's going to be obsessed with it and it's going to be impossible to find. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know why I just get that vibe. I have a feeling that it's going to be one of those things. It's a really cool design. Um, It literally is a swoosh. It's just a bag that's shaped like a swoosh and it looks really cool. What do you think, Joe? I have so many thoughts on this. Like, first of all, where are we with quiet luxury? Because this is a logo stamped stamped with a different logo. Second yes. of all, it would be nice. It literally is a logo. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, like, where are we? Like, fashion meets practicality. Like, we're there's a bit much conversation right now. Sarah Sprookfeiner is writing it on, um, writing a story on it for her pop newsletter about this um, Haley Bieber phone that has a built-in um, like lip balm holder. I would say so you can take it all at just your phone. Phone is kind of a priority. This does not hold a phone. Okay. So like we'll have our phone with our lip balm and our little bag. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But whatever, in the name of fashion. It was interesting to see the comments when Jacques Mousse um, announced this via an Instagram post. Um, I would say the fashion community, like you said, celebrating the idea. Like Jenna Lyons commented, brilliant. Um, Albert from Up Next Designer just said, OMG, I think. Um, Nike did say this is the first ever swoosh handbag. And then I almost was like, oh my God, that's so true. Kat Quinn, like my favorite um, food is a banana. So she's just like, I'm buying this to carry a banana to work. I was like, oh, that's (laughs) kind of cute. Um, But yeah, I would just say- It is perfect for carrying one big banana. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think that I would just say this collaboration is fun. I think that Nike needs this collaboration more than Jacques Mousse needs it right now because they're not doing great. There were layoffs um, reported this week from their tech sector and beyond. They're cutting $2 billion for crying out loud. Um, So they're not doing great. A lot of competition on the fashion side from uh, Salomon. Salomon? Um, oh, anyway, from New Balance and beyond and from performance sneakers from on and Hoka. And anyway, 
they they need something splashy. I don't know that it'll be a big money maker, but again, the cool factor of it all is important. Yeah, yeah, totally. And also, you know, to your point about Nike needing this more than Jacques Mousse, I think Jacques Mousse has been on a huge hot streak. Like they've worked with so many cool celebrities. They've had Kylie Jenner and Kendall Jenner and also Bad Bunny have all kind of modeled for them recently. Um, they have these huge names and huge shows. Uh, I think their revenue in 2022 hit 200 million. Like they're growing a lot. The only hitch that I've seen so far, and I think we talked about this on the podcast, was their CEO, Bastien Dag- Daguzan, I think is his name, left, uh, I think, You're barely right. a year after uh, after joining. I think that was in December of last year. Um, so he had been there barely a year and a half. He was the first CEO after Simon Port Jacquemus himself, um, who's still at the brand designing. He's just not CEO anymore. Um, so he just left. Uh, did they replace him? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so just yet either. But yeah, something they're doing something right. I mean, they really caught traction with those kind of single button, sexy mama cropped cardigans. Um, and Kendall was wearing it and Bella and all the, the it girls. And But it, the price point just feels right for people who want to splurge on something. I wouldn't say it's high luxury. I would say it's accessible luxury. But this bag in particular is 420 euros. And if somebody wants to splurge a bit on something that's recognizable and not quiet, I think that it will do well. They've collaborated before on shoes, Nike and Jacques Mousse. So um, they're friends. So not a huge surprise, but yeah. Yeah. And a nice touch to me also is the Jacques Mousse printed in that like Nike impact font or uh, maybe it's not impact. What is the name of that font that Nike uses? I don't know. This very um, iconic blocky Nike font. Um, I think that's a nice touch. Uh, do you think we'll see dupes of this hitting the market like immediately? Like how many seconds before <laughs> there's a million fakes of it out there? I don't know. Oh my gosh, you've covered the Nike um, lawsuits and stuff and such left and right. Like mm-hmm. I feel like um, it would be a bold move at this point, right? Yeah, Nike's very, they've gotten very tough on on that kind of stuff. And uh, understandably, I mean, they're 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 another one of those brands where the brand value is so high. The swoosh is such an iconic thing. They're probably maybe one of the most faked companies like out there. I'm totally like not, I don't have specific data on that. I would just guess they have to be one of the top, like most counterfeited brands. It'll be knocked off. Maybe not Shein, but like maybe like the back, somebody's trunk, come, come see the goods. (laughs) Yeah. It would be hard to it would be hard to like be subtle about it because it literally is the company's logo. So I don't know, but I think it's very cool. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get it, but if I ever need to carry a big bunch of bananas, that would be a good thing for it. Um, <laughs> so good. I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode, but Jill, thank you for being here. This is always so fun. So um, fun. For those of you listening, reminder that we are planning a mailbag episode in the future where we will answer questions submitted by you. Um, You can DM us. You can DM the Glossy Instagram. You can DM me on Instagram. Um, You can email me at danny at glossy.co. But what we would really love is we have set up a voicemail box. Um, The phone number is 929-688-2750. And I'll repeat that in a second. We would love if you have questions you want us to... um, answer, call that number, leave a voicemail um, with your question. Um, You can say your name if you want, and we will play it on the episode. So be prepared for that. If you have any questions that you want to hear us talk about, make sure to do that. Again, the number is 929-688-2750. 
888-888-2750. Give us a call. You are like made for infomercials. That was really good. Thank you. I've heard so many of them over the years. <laughs> I feel like I've internalized the <laughs> the cadence of it. Again, that number is 929. <laughs> I wish we could make it so that it spells something out, but I don't know if we have that control. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this because that helps us out so much. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and we can review episodes with me every Friday. Um, Jill, do we know who our next guest uh, on the Wednesday episode is? We do. We've got Maggie Winter. She is the CEO of Air, which has expanded to menswear, iconic denim. Great interview. Check it out. Amazing. Uh, well, until then, thank you for listening. 